Are you looking for something different to entertain your kids? Check out a new podcast for children. Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, is a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. Math is geared towards kids six and up, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. I love how the episodes are under 20 minutes, which was perfect for our drive to school. And my four-year-old really loved the episode, The Pirate Queen. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras' ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and so much more. New episodes drop every Thursday, and I love how engaging, funny, and educational the episodes are. Your kids won't even realize they're learning about math and problem solving. My son even said he wanted to finish the episode on our drive home from school. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Monday Mornings with Dr. Mona, where each week I answer your questions. Welcome to this episode, which was a highly requested topic. Dr. Mona, how do I foster independent play? And I thought that interactive play is really important. Both are essential. So I am so excited to do this episode because I love talking about child development, infant development, and so much more, and the importance of independent play. So independent play is not only great for your child but it's helpful for you to be able to do something else while your child is playing. Obviously, if your child is younger, you are going to need to be in the room um, for safety, but it allows you to do something in the kitchen or send an email or send a text message or be able to do things that you need to get done in that moment and allow your child to be able to play and learn and develop through play on their own. So why is independent play so beneficial for a child? So independent play is something that I really try to instill into Ryan from infancy. And remember that interactive play is also very important for cognitive and language development, but it's the balance, the balance of interactive and independent play that's so important. And I'll kind of explain how we did this so that we allow Ryan to have that interactive play, but then we also allow him to just figure things out on his own. So first, what is independent play? So independent play is when your child is playing on their own without you in their face. <laughs> pretty, pretty simple, but it is beneficial because it allows your child time for emotional regulation. So it allows your child to have downtime to relax uninterrupted, similar to us doing something we love and just decompressing. It can give them that time that they may need. Now, this is gonna be really important when your child is a toddler or in preschool, and they use their play to just kinda relax and decompress, like I mentioned. But in babies, it can also be a time for them to just figure things out and relax, and sometimes as infants, we feel like we always have to be in their face, but you don't really need to be in their face at all times. You can allow them some independent time so that you can have that built in into their schedule in infancy and then it's going to go into toddler years and beyond that this is time for you to play. And that is kind of what we did with Ryan. The number two reason I love independent play is that it builds self-confidence. Independent play and being alone 
to play develop self-confidence in children by allowing them freedom, freedom to test hypotheses, try new things and take healthy risks. Like if they're trying to figure out how a toy works or a puzzle or something, they are trying to figure that out on their own and they're creating ideas. They're learning about themselves. They're learning about what they like. They're learning about them. And it's so amazing to see that they are building self-confidence through play and they are going to learn that they are capable just by trial and error. So of course we're going to need to be with them or nearby sometimes if they get frustrated, which is what we did with our son from a young age. We would allow him independent playtime and that would be the time that he gets to play. And, you know, in the toddler years, especially if he gets frustrated, I would be in the kitchen or, you know, working from home and I would say, Ryan, I hear that you're frustrated. Do you need my help? And we taught him sign language or we taught him the word help and he finally would say, help, help. So I would go over there and help them. It's that balance that allows them to feel, you know, I'm going to try try this on my own. And if I need help, my mommy or my caregiver is going to be there if I need it. Independent play also fosters creativity and imagination. So they become creative, especially when using open-ended toys. They learn how to maximize use of a toy. And as they get older, they utilize their imagination more. So they're going to really learn from boredom and from the toys that they're using. And they're going to really be able to use that imagination and get more creative. That is why we love toys that are versatile, you know, magnetiles as they get older, um, crunchy toys as infants. And I have a whole toy list on my Amazon uh, page, but this is going to be really important for them to kind of have toys that foster their development and foster creativity. Number four, it teaches them self-reliance. So being alone while playing develops self-reliance and enhances the child's ability to trust in themselves first. They learn that there isn't always going to be someone jumping in at every second that you as a child or infant are going to figure things out on your own. I'm going to use a baby that you set up in like a playpen that's figuring out how to roll. You don't have to be there every second to, okay, roll, roll, roll. Yes, you're going to want to balance it with some interactive time, but you can allow your baby to be in a play area and set up toys around and they will trial and error, figure out how to reach a toy that they want and roll to get it or crawl to get it. You are going to balance this with interactive play by being there at set times where you're going to also be able to encourage them. And if they need help with moving their body or figuring out how to get on their arms with crawling, you're going to be there. I really do like a autonomy intervention model. It's what I call where you allow your child to see what they can do. And if they need your help, you can intervene, but you want to allow them to feel what it feels to get frustrated, feel what it feels to struggle a little bit. If they're trying to roll their body over, right? If you hear them struggling, you don't have to like run over there and like jump. You obviously have to get over to them to make sure that they're safe, but you want to make sure that you sit with them and coach them if they need it. But this is also going to build self-reliance and that self-confidence that I mentioned. As children grow older, independent play is going to encourage them to try things by themselves first and then ask for help if they need it, which leads to one of my next things, which is better problem solvers. Because they have more self-reliance, they are forced to become problem solvers. I'm going to use the example of when Ryan is figuring out how to use a puzzle. So puzzles are very frustrating to him. You know, we started doing interactive play to teach him the skill. 
So this is kind of how I say that I balance things. So you're going to have to do interactive play to teach skills like language or, you know, something that's new to them because they may not be able to figure it out initially. But once they've figured it out or once you see that they're starting to show signs of getting the pattern, it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, but then you can start to allow them some independent play with that item. So I use puzzles as an example because I would coach Ryan through puzzles and show him how to fit the pieces. And then sometimes he gets frustrated and I allow him to feel a little frustrated. I allow him to feel those feelings because through the frustration, he's going to learn, Hey, now I actually need to figure this out. And with that means a lot of verbalization, which I'll get into also, which means a lot of narrating a lot of, Hey Ryan, I see that you're really frustrated. How do you think that you can move that around to fit? Allow them that independence, you know, allow them that self-reliance and that desire to want to be a problem solver. And sometimes when we jump in right away where they're struggling and we're like, oh, okay, okay, I'll show you. When you are going to interact and help them sit down and ask questions and, you know, narrate what you're seeing, but don't immediately do the activity for them. See if you can show them with their hands, see if you can narrate what they're doing or what they're feeling so they can kind of come up with the solution. They may not because they're young, but that is why you're going to see that independent play is very beneficial. It can also lead to a better attention span. So more focus since they have to figure out things on their own, right? So that's why I'll get into like the types of toys and activities that you're using. But when they have so many different things to be distracted with, that's going to be a non-ideal attention span, right? They're going to be distracted and moving from things to another. So by allowing them some independent play, you are allowing them to maximize the attention span Obviously, they're infants and toddlers. They're not going to be able to sit and do something for like 30 minutes, but you have to manage those expectations. But you're going to see what time that they are going to be more focused because they are trying to figure it out, right? They're trying to gain that self-reliance and be a problem solver. And with that is going to become more focus in an activity. So I love independent play for all the reasons that I mentioned. The number one reason was the self-confidence. All the things that I mentioned make for more confident kids. They have a bigger imagination, better problem-solving skills, and can, and they can just feel proud about what they did and not what you did for them. And they just feel secure knowing that they have your support if they need it. So that is what we're kind of trying to do here, right? We are trying to teach our children and be present when they need us. And I'll get into kind of how to balance that. But we also want to teach them that you are capable of learning things on your own. And I'm not going anywhere. I may be in the kitchen or I may be in the living room or at the desk downstairs with them, right? You want to kind of be in that same room, especially if they're, you know, young, under four or five, you are going to be in that room with them, showing them and guiding them if they need it. Now, interactive play, like I mentioned, is important. So how do you kind of balance the two? So it really is setting up a routine or schedule, if you will, in your head. You don't have to have it on paper, but you can set that, hey, in the morning, we're going to try doing some independent play. And this can be done from the time that your child's an infant. Remember that when your child's an infant, they are not going to be able to do independent play 
that long. They are going to need you because the younger the child is, the more time they're going to need with the caregiver. But you can start to do some independent play. Example, two month old, you put them on a bobby pillow and they are trying to lift their head up in tummy time, looking at a mirror. You are obviously nearby for safety. You could be sitting on the floor with them. You could be answering emails. You could be, um, you know, doing whatever you need to do, but you are nearby. And then you have your set time for independent play. If they start to cry or get upset and you are in the middle of something, you start to narrate, which I'll get into the importance of that. And then when you are ready, you are going to have that interactive one-on-one time. But you set up that schedule or routine in your head of, okay, we are going to do some time for independent time every morning, every afternoon, and we're going to build on it. What I don't want you to do is forget interactive play, right? Because interactive play is going to be important for language development, that reciprocity, infancy, toddlers, right? Especially when they're learning language, teaching them things. If they don't know how to figure something out, they're going to need your presence. So you want to kind of in your head say, okay, we are going to do independent time. We're going to do interactive time. And that's kind of how we balanced it as well. So how can you foster independent play? So the first step is to manage your expectations. So don't expect your child to want to play alone all the time. They do need us to show them and they may want to show us things. You know, they may say like, I want to show my mommy what I did. Remember also that the attention span varies, especially by age. So like I said, you cannot expect an infant to be independent playing because their attention span is much shorter. And especially for toddlers, you know, you may have a toddler who has a five to six minute attention span at two years of age. And at three years old, it can go up to eight to 10 minutes, but even child by child, this can vary. So you need to kind of lower your expectations, especially if you have a child that's between 12 months to 20 months. I find that sometimes it can feel impossible. You're like, wow, why are they just not focusing? And then we get frustrated at them because they're not focusing. You cannot expect a toddler of that age, 12 to 20 months, especially to be able to focus on something for so long. And I don't want to give you so many numbers of, oh, they should be focusing for a minute or two, because it really can depend. And it also can depend on the activity. But first thing is manage your expectations. Number two is like I said, start young. So we started doing this from when Ryan was an infant and how I kind of did it initially, like I mentioned, is setting up some time for independent play, interactive play. And independent play looked like in the infancy months, him playing, but me sitting nearby and not being in his face talking all the time. Like, okay, Ryan, do this and do this. It's kind of messing up his flow. Like let him play and let him figure things out. That balance is key. So I allowed him to see what he can do first with tummy time, with the rolling, with crawling. And of course, I'm balancing that with interactive play. So it's up to you to kind of create that balance. It's kind of like when you have an older child and use screen time. There's no rule that says, okay, you have to do 20 minutes of independent and 20 minutes of this. You create that balance. And I talk about a routine that if you start to implement it as a routine, okay, we're going to do two minutes or five minutes in the morning and 10 minutes in the afternoon. We're just going to start to build that into the routine of independent play and then we're also going to do interactive play you are going to create a foundation where this is something that's expected for your infant and this is something that's expected for your toddler so we would do this where we would just have 
morning or afternoon. And I didn't write it down or anything. It was just like, hey, allow him just some time. You know, I tell the nanny, like, allow him some time to just play on his own in that safe playpen area. And then obviously I want you to interact. And it's up to you to create that balance. But it is something that is very beneficial to start young. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rash, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball. Let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC. That's P-E-D-S-D-O-C. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ertube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Number three is you got to figure out the toys and the play space. So to foster independent play, the most ideal toys are open-ended. I'm sure you've heard of this. This means that they're not battery operated. So open-ended toys require trial and error and for your baby and child to have to figure out how to use it and problem solving skills. Pushing buttons doesn't foster creativity. It, you know, battery operated toys, I, I feel like they have a place, but they 
really should not be used when you're trying to foster independent play. So if you're going to be using it during independent play, take out the batteries and store the batteries safely, obviously, and you can allow them to play with that toy. Ryan got gifted a VTech shape sorter toy that you can, you drop the shapes into different holes that are like, you know, the heart, the star or whatnot. And we took out the batteries when he was independent playing and put the batteries in a safe spot. That way he can still drop the, uh, the different shapes in, but it wouldn't make a uh, dingy lights and all those sounds, right? He still got to practice the cognitive development of trial and error. When you are interactive playing, then you can decide if you like to use battery operated toys because the battery operated toy independent is not teaching them anything. But if you're going to use a battery operated toy, and if you really want to, you can utilize it with you playing. So if you have the battery in that toy, for example, then you can, if they drop something into the right spot and it makes it loud dinging sound. You are physically also there to say, yay, you made the shape. That was the star. So that is how you can balance the use of electronic or battery operated toys. Going young, you know, open-ended toys, teething toys, wobble toys, uh, rattles, blocks, stacking toys. As they get older, play kitchen, magnetiles, Legos, basically anything that doesn't have a battery and that can be used in different ways. And I'm going to be doing a YouTube episode about all of my favorite open-ended toys by age, which I think will be very helpful in the coming weeks. You also want to make their play space theirs. So for an infant, if they are pre-mobile, you know, just putting them on a play mat. Once they start to become mobile, play mat with a uh, play yard that is enclosed so that they can have the freedom to move around, but they are in a secure area so they're not crawling into an area that, you know, you're not watching. So safety is important and it's their space. It's their safe space to play. For toddlers, you really want to try to organize it so that they know where everything is. So we use a drawer system where we put all his cars in one drawer, all his puzzles in a couple drawers, um, any, you know, shape sorter toys in another. It's important to keep things organized. I know this is really hard, especially if you have multiple kids. So you do the best that you can. It's not a big deal if it doesn't happen. But we know that a physical cluttered space as an adult also doesn't help our mental clutter. And especially for a toddler, it's just nice for everything to be put away and for them to know and be able to take toys out and be able to put it back in where it belongs. This is something that I really think is great after 16 months. I think it's really important that you can start to teach your toddler how to put things away when they take something out. They're not going to do it all the time. We know that, have that expectation, but you're the repetition. The repetition is what's going to help them understand, okay, I play with my cars. I'm done with my cars. Let me put my cars away. And now I want to play with the puzzle. I'm going to take the puzzles out and then I'm putting it away. It's that repetition and they'll need your guidance to be able to, you know, show, you have to show them how to do that, but it can be very helpful. The next step in creating and fostering independent play is rotating toys. So try to do this every two months if you can. Remember, it's okay if you can't do it often. I usually do it every two to three months, but ideally this will help keep things fresh so that it creates interest and you don't have to buy all these new toys. You can rotate in toys that they used to have that they may have now forgotten about and it becomes new to them. My rule is five toys for a pre-mobile child, six to eight for a crawling child and under 12 for a toddler. Books, puzzles, cars all count as one category. You can have multiple books, multiple cars, multiple puzzles, but you want to try to minimize how much stuff because if you have more stuff, they're more scattered. You want to have less options because that also fosters creativity. If they have less options, they're forced to figure out, okay, how am I going to maximize my time with this one toy? And that is why I like toy rotation and minimizing the number.
The next thing to foster independent play is stop interrupting them. If they are playing independently, do not interrupt them. You don't constantly need to ask questions. Okay. And this, and this, and this, let them focus. And that's why I'm saying to create designated independent play time. And then also your interactive time. Let them focus, let them figure it out, designate your time with them for interactive play and max out that independent play as much as you can, especially in those toddler years. You know, if they're focused on something, look for a natural break in the in their concentration before you move them to another activity if you're able to, right? I understand you may need to take them to school or it's mealtime, but look for a natural break. Maybe when they, you know, look up for you or they're, you know, getting another toy, that's when we can in- intervene and swoop in and say, okay, we're going to go on to the next activity, meal, we got to leave or whatever. This is really nice so that we can maximize their focus. Sometimes I think as parents, we inadvertently break their focus and attention span because we're like, oh, do this, do this, do this. Let them focus on one thing and let them max out a toy. I can't express the benefit of maxing out one activity or play activity before you move to the next, which is why I think organization and minimal amount of toys is beneficial. But maximize that so they get all they can out of that play activity and then you move to the next. You don't tell them when it's time to move. Let them get, okay, if they're bored or if they want to move, then you can move them to the next activity, but that will help them maximize and lengthen that independent playtime. This next one's really important, giving them one-on-one connection when you're able. So even small spurts of one-on-one connection time can mean more independent play because infants and toddlers and children crave connection and value from a caregiver and it's quality time, not quantity. So if you can interact with them for even 10 to 20 minutes a day in sessions, right? This can fill their cup so that they're more likely to want to play independently because they got the one-on-one time with you. But if you are going throughout your day and just not giving them any one-on-one time, even for 10 minutes, they're more likely to have breakdowns when it's time for them to be alone because they're like, wait, I didn't get any connection with you. I don't want to do this alone. Remember that if you're doing this one-on-one time means no phones, computers, you and that child reading, playing with a toy. Remember, you can choose activities that are fun for you if you don't like to play, Um, but it's important that you have that designated one-on-one time. And remember, you can use time during your routines for this too. So meal times can be connection time, but it has to be uninterrupted, no phones, no distractions. No, okay, let me check an email. No, it's I'm talking with my baby or a toddler and we are interacting. Bath time is another example right? One-on-one mommy, me time or caregiver, me time. Morning routine. So it doesn't have to be this crazy amount of time that's taken out of your day. When Ryan was an infant and even now, you know, I was working full time and I also was building Pete's Doc Talk and I had to really kind of create these times, you know, like I didn't really feel like I could sit for an hour and it was hard because I'm balancing so many things. And I really remember that it's about incorporating those moments into your routine. And when you are interacting, stopping all of that excess phone ringing and all of that, because that is what the quality time means. Quality time means uninterrupted, no phone. And even if you could do that for 10 minutes, 10 minutes, you're going to allow that child to have more of a desire to want to independently play because they got that connection time with you. The next tip is use screens as a last resort, especially under four. I don't mind screen time. We utilize it too, but I really want you to maximize all other play independent play 
before going to screens. I really also want to remind parents to avoid using screens as independent play under 18 months. Remember, that's not a form of play because parents often feel that their kids can't focus at that, you know, 12 months to 20 month range. And they're like, well, the only thing they'll focus on is a screen. No, that's not what we want. At that age, you know, under 18 months, ideally the best use of a screen is going to be co-viewing or co-watching, if you will. We don't want to have the screen be something that they're just watching because they're not learning much under, you know, 18 months, two years. They don't really develop language from that screen. So we really want to utilize the screen as a last resort. We want to maximize all that other other independent playtime, interactive play. And if you're not able to interactive play, then you go to the screens. But remember under 18 months of age, we really want to maximize independent play out of a screen time because that is not going to really teach them language or cognitive skills, even if a TV show advertises that. The next tip is my most important tip, and that's why I saved it for the end. Verbalize. Verbalize when you are unable to play with them. So one of you know the common questions I get is, my child is just not good at independent play. So it's going to be something that you have to train them, essentially, right? So we, we forget the power of verbalization. This is a form of connection, and it can set clear expectations for a child when you physically cannot be there. For example, if you're training your child to independent play because they've never done it, of course, if it's new to them, they're going to scream bloody murder and they're going to be like, mama, mama. So just say you're trying to create a two minute or five minute session in the morning. I hear you want me. Mommy is finishing cooking and I'll be there soon. I know you have amazing toys. Why don't you find your toy and then mommy will come to you. You got to get into that habit of verbalizing. Set that boundary and set that rule and don't rush and say, okay, 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 okay. I'm coming. I'm coming. Be very calm in how you implement that verbalization. Do it as you must and narrate and verbalize so that they know they have to wait for you. So if you're trying to implement independent playtime, okay, right now, mommy's going to do dishes and you don't have to make it like a task, like, oh God, I have to do dishes. So you have to play. Just say, okay, mommy's going to do dishes. So it's your time to play. Mommy, mommy, I want you. I see that I you want to play with me. I see that you want me there, but mommy has to finish this right now. And then I will come and play with you. What do you think you want to play with me when we're all, when I'm all done? So you want to make it very calm and you want to verbalize it so that they know the boundary. They know the expectation. It also teaches them patience. This is like my mommy hack. Everyone's like, how do you get Ryan to listen and do this? I verbalize. I when my husband's working and I'm all alone and I have to do other things, I verbalize, meaning I narrate and tell Ryan what I'm doing so that he has an expectation. Sometimes it means that he's going to be upset. But remember, them being upset doesn't mean that anything wrong. They're just learning that, okay, well, mommy is taking care of something and she's going to come right to me because I am going to go right to him. But you got to get comfortable with that, especially if your child is new to independent play. And For an older child, you can also set a timer so you can verbalize and say, okay, here's your timer. You're going to play for 10 minutes and mommy's going to finish whatever you need to finish. But you may not need to do timers if you instill this verbalization and this verbal boundaries from a young age like we did. We don't do timers because from a young age, we have set this boundary that, okay, when I say this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do. Don't worry. I know that you may be upset. I'm going to be right there for you. I hear you. I see you. I'm going to finish and we're going to have so much one-on-one time. You know, like you're, you're setting up that expectation for them. So now the big question is for what do I do if my child is just not used to independent play? First thing, ease into it. At first, you may just want to sit 
silently beside your child as they play instead of joining in, right? You may not be able to cold turkey, just drop them and and then they have to play. So just sit next to them and don't say anything and just let them play. Once your child is absorbed in their activity that they're doing, you can try moving to another part of the room or the kitchen or wherever you want, and you can build up time. Remember using that verbalization technique I mentioned, that if you do get up, say, I see that you want mommy, mommy's going to be right back. But then you set the boundary and say, I'm going to be back after I finish dishes. You don't need to say five minutes, 10 minutes, a young toddler may not understand that, but you can say, I'm going to finish dishes and then I'm going to come right back. Or you can do the timer, like I mentioned verbalize it and almost like kind of how if you did sleep training, right? You may need to train for little minutes and increments, like two minutes, four minutes, five minutes, build up the time, but do try to build up the time. Don't say, okay, oh my gosh, they're crying and they're upset. Yes, they may be upset, but use verbalization. Remember that it is a form of connection and it is okay. You are in the room with them. You are telling them, I see that you want mommy. Mommy's going to finish this and you can play. And the more you do that, the more they're going to realize, oh, okay, mommy's calmly telling me what she's going to do and she's going to come back. You are always going to come back. Remember, they learn from us coming back. We are going to go back when we say we're going to go back, but you set that expectation for them. You're not leaving the room. You're not leaving them and we're going to run an errand. You are just giving them time to play. It's something good for them. So remember when you're training your child to do something good for them, it's not harmful. If they're upset by it, you can verbalize and narrate to help guide them. Be consistent Like I said, if they start to get upset, verbalize, you don't want to rush and say, okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Then you kind of reinforce that you're, it's okay that they don't want to play independently. You want to build up that time and you want to foster that because it's something really good for them. You also want to make it part of the routine, like I mentioned. So using timers for older children, making it that, Hey, in the morning, you're going to do this. In the afternoon, you're going to have this independent time. Make it part of your daily routine so it becomes a norm for them. And that way they know to expect it, especially if you have a older child, you know, older than 18 months who is not used to this, right? You are going to really want to foster it as part of the routine. Remember, it is beneficial. Some children are not going to independent play forever, but these tips can really help guide you so that you can get more time for them to learn the power of independent play, but also regain time yourself. Thank you for tuning in today. If you find this series helpful or any of my content helpful, please make sure to share it on your social media channel because that is how other people can find this resource. So thank you so much for joining us and I will talk to you next week. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. 